Section 30 of A History of Our Own Times, Volume 3 by Justin McCarthy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. Chapter 43 The Civil War in America, Part 3. At first, the northern states counted with absolute confidence upon the sympathy of England. The one reproach Englishmen had always been casting in their face was that they did not take any steps to put down slavery. Not long before this time, Lord Brougham, at a meeting of a statistical congress in London, where the American minister happened to be present, delivered a sort of lecture at him on the natural equality of the black with the white. All England had just been in a state of wild excitement about the case of the fugitive slave Anderson. An escaped slave, who had taken refuge in Canada, was demanded back by the United States government, at that time, be it remembered, still a southern government, because in trying to escape he had killed one of those who strove to stay his flight and capture him. The idea seemed monstrous to Englishmen that any British or colonial court of law should give back as a criminal a man who had only done that which English law would warrant him in doing, resisted even to slaying an attempt to make him a slave. The fugitive was not given up to the United States. The colonial courts discharged him from custody on the ground of some informality in the warrant of detention, and he came to England. But the court of Queen's Bench here had already issued a writ of habeas corpus to bring him before it, on the ground that his detention in Toronto, even while waiting the decision of the colonial court, was illegal, and if it had not so happened that he was released from custody before the writ could interfere, some very important and difficult questions in international law might have had to be decided. In this country, public opinion was warmly in favor of the release of Anderson, and would have gone any length to save him from being surrendered to his captors public opinion was expressing itself soundly and justly. It would have amounted to a recognition of slavery if an English court had consented on any ground to hand over as a criminal a man who merely resisted an attempt to drag him back into servitude. This was just before the accession of Mr. Lincoln to office. It was the common expectation of the northern states that England would welcome the new state of things, under which the demand for the return of a fugitive slave was never likely to insult them. The English government had had for years and years incessant difficulties with the government of the United States, while the latter was in the hands of the South. Colored subjects of the Queen had been seized in Charleston and carried off into slavery, and it was not possible to get any redress. For years we had been listening to complaints from our governments about the arrogance and insolence of the American statesmen in office, who were all more or less under the control of the South. It is easy to understand, therefore, how Mr. Lincoln and his friends counted on the sympathy of the English government and the English people, and how surprised they were when they found English statesmen, journalists, preachers, and English society generally deriding their misfortunes and apparently wishing for the success of their foes. The surprise changed into a feeling of bitter disappointment, and that gave place to an angry temper, which exaggerated every symptom of ill-will, distorted every fact, 
and saw wrong even where there only existed an honest purpose to do right it was while this temper was beginning to light up on both sides of the atlantic that the unfortunate affair of the trent occurred the confederate government had resolved to send envoys to europe to arrange if possible for the recognition of the southern states mr w l yancey an extreme advocate of the doctrine of state sovereignty had already been in europe with this purpose and now mr davis was anxious to have a regular envoy in london and another in paris mr slidell a prominent southern lawyer and politician was to represent the south at the court of the emperor napoleon provided he could obtain recognition there and mr james murray mason the author of the fugitive slave law was to be dispatched with a similar mission to the court of queen victoria the two southern envoys escaped together from charleston one dark and wet october night in a small steamer and got to havana there they took passage for southampton in the english mail steamer trent the united states sloop of war san jacinto happened to be returning from the african coast about the same time her commander captain wilkes was a somewhat hot-tempered and indiscreet officer he was cruising about in quest of the confederate privateer sumter and while at havana he learned that the confederate agents with their secretaries were on the way to europe he determined to intercept them two hundred and fifty miles from havana he awaited them in the bahama channel the trent approached he summoned her to heave to and his summons being disregarded fired a shot across her bows an armed party was then sent on board and the confederate envoys were seized with their secretaries and carried as prisoners on board the san jacinto despite the protest of the captain of the english steamer and from under the protection of the english flag the prisoners were first carried to new york and then confined in one of the forts in boston harbor now there cannot be the slightest doubt of the illegality of this proceeding on the part of captain wilkes it was not long to be sure since england had claimed and exercised a supposed right of the same kind but such a claim had been given up and could not in eighteen sixty one have been maintained by any civilized state it was a claim which the united states governments had especially exerted themselves to abolish this was the view taken at once by president lincoln whose plain good sense served him in better stead than their special studies had served some professors of international law we have it on the excellent authority of dr draper in his history of the american civil war that mr lincoln at once declared that the act of captain wilkes could not be sustained he said this is the very thing the british captains used to do they claimed the right of searching american ships and carrying men out of them that was the cause of the war of eighteen twelve now we cannot abandon our own principles we shall have to give these men up and apologize for what we have done this was in fact the course that the american government had to take mr seward wrote a long letter in answer to lord russell's demand for the surrender of the prisoners in which he endeavoured to make out that captain wilkes had acted in accordance with english precedents but stated that he had not had any authority from the american government to take such a course and that the government did not consider him to have acted in accordance with the law of nations it will be seen mr seward went on to say 
that this government cannot deny the justice of the claim presented to us in this respect upon its merits we are asked to do to the british nation what we have always insisted all nations ought to do unto us he announced therefore that the four prisoners would be cheerfully liberated on january first eighteen sixty two the confederate envoys were given up on the demand of the british government and sailed for europe the question then it might be thought was satisfactorily settled unfortunately however a great deal of harm had been done in the meantime popular clamour in the united states had entirely approved of the action of captain wilkes a mass meeting held in tammany hall or the cooper institute of new york or even in the less vehement faneuil hall of boston is not exactly an assembly qualified to give an authoritative decision on questions of international law the secretary of the navy however who ought to have known better but did not had commended the action of the captain of the san jacinto a vote of thanks had been passed to captain wilkes in the house of representatives washington for his arrest of the traitors slidell and mason under these circumstances it is not surprising if people on this side of the ocean should have fancied that the united states were eager to sustain a great act of wrong done against us and against international law but on the other hand the arrest was so absolutely without justification that the english government might well have known president lincoln's cabinet could not sustain it the governments of all the great european states promptly interposed their good advice pointing out to mr lincoln the impossibility of maintaining captain wilkes's act the foreign envoys in washington and the orleans princes then in that city had given the same good advice lord palmerston's government acted however as if an instant appeal to arms must be necessary lord russell sent out to washington a peremptory demand for the liberation of the envoys and an apology and insisted on an answer within seven days troops were at once ordered out to canada and a proclamation was issued forbidding the export of arms and munitions of war all this was done although on the very day that lord russell was dispatching his peremptory letter to washington mr seward was writing to london to assure her majesty's government that the arrest had been made without any authority from the united states government and that the president and his advisers were then considering the proper course to take the fact that mr seward's letter had been received was for some reason or other not made publicly known in england at the time and the english people were left to believe that the action of captain wilkes either was the action of the american government or had that government's approval public feeling therefore raged and raved a good deal on both sides american statesmen believed that the english government was making a wanton and offensive display of a force which they had good reason to know would never be needed the english public was left under the impression that the american statesmen were only yielding to the display of force the release of the prisoners did not seem to our people to come with a good grace it did not seem to the american people to have been asked or accepted with a good grace mr seward might as well perhaps when he had made up his mind to restore the prisoners have spared himself the trouble of what the scotch would call a long haver to show that if he acted as england had done he should not have given them up at all but mr seward 
always was a terribly eloquent dispatch writer and he could not we may suppose persuade himself to forego the opportunity of issuing a dissertation on the other hand lord palmerston's demeanour and language were what he would probably himself have called in homely language bumptious if some one else had been in question lord palmerston could not deny himself the pleasure of a burst of cheap popularity and of seeming to flourish the flag of england in the face of presumptuous foes the episode was singularly unfortunate in its effect upon the temper of the majority in england and america from that moment there was a formidable party in england who detested the north and a formidable party in the north who detested england End of section 30